live from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. 97.9 The Hill presents the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. Today's guest, ESPN analyst, Jay Billis. Are you ready to play? Come on over to our backyard. It's a Sibling Rivalry Sports Show starring Chris and C.L. Brown. We got next... Come on over to this court. I'll just tell you what our lineup is. A power forward, senior writer from the Athletic.com College Basketball, the CL Brown, and at shooting guard, host, co-author of Thunder Sports Network, the book and the Juice TV show, Chris Brown. You want to run? Lace them up, boy, and let's get it. This is Sibling Rivalry Sports. CL, what's going on? Let's get it, man. Let's get it. I'm not even going to bring up the Browns beating the Ravens last week. (laughs) That's called bringing up that the Browns beat the Ravens in overtime. How ironic is that? How ironic is that? Good grief. You guys tied them, and I gave you grief. And now, as soon as we went in overtime, I'm like, this is not looking good for us. But that's okay. We'll talk about that later. Let's get on with the big playback. This is the big payback. Yes, yes, it is the big playback, and we are asking the question, what is the better football product? Is it the one on Sundays or the one on Saturdays? NFL or college, better football product? Sia, what say you? I mean, it's college football. To me, it's it's not even really that close. Now, I, I think people need to separate. Let me say this first and foremost. We're, we're separating the talent level. Obviously, they're pros for a reason. Every team, even the bad ones in the NFL, have guys that play that are tremendous athletes and can do things that us mere mortals cannot do. I understand that. But when we're talking about the, the totality of it, the exciting atmosphere, the exciting games that you see in college football, it's not close. And, and I, I got a lot of reasons. I'll start with the fact that, to me, college football is about innovation. We see things in college football that end up trickling up to the pros. It's not, it's not to me, it doesn't flow as much from the pros down to college. Really? I mean, you think about uh, the Wildcat. That was a college. That was a college uh, offensive scheme that eventually the pros started using. That and a college it, coach brought to the NFL. Phase, exactly. It goes from college to NFL. That's my point. Mm-hmm. The innovation is in college. The same thing with with now. You see uh, NFL teams doing a little run pass option in terms of of like RPA. a spread formation type plays. You see that mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more, uh, even with guys that shouldn't be running, in my opinion. But <laughs> those things came from college. And went up to the NFL. Now I'll step back and let you. Thank you for stepping back and letting me because I got plenty more. Oh, we both got plenty because you know I'm going NFL, and I would say it's not close. And I have the numbers to back that, which I'll get at in a second. But let's just talk about the trickle. Let's think about something. The shotgun. Those are the crickets in the background. The shotgun came from Mr. Tom Landry in the NFL. Let's talk about what about the instant replay system. What about the, uh, the uh, playoff, the structure of playoffs? That, that is a big liability of college football postseason. 
big liability. Well, all these, playoffs now. All these, yeah. Where'd they get it from? All these, all these bowls and stuff. Oh, what? It's a mess. It is a mess. And they finally said, Let, okay, "We got to go to the playoff system, like the NFL. We have to do this, and it's going to expand and only get better." I would also say this about well, the NFL. Well, one thing though, with that, you're only talking about FBS division. The lower divisions in college football have playoffs. Yeah, okay. I got you with that. That's all right. But still, yes, we're talking FBS. We're talking, you know, the the college football, the main thrust of college football. I'm talking with popularity. Yes, it went from the bowl system to playoffs. And I mean, you know, they, they, were they looking at the uh, at the FBS or were they or FCS or were they looking at the NFL? That's I guess that's a question that's out there. There's more parity in the NFL. There are no losing records in the ASC North right now, for instance. You know, all these ties and overtimes, you know, that are happening this season, that's something else. Worst to first is actually possible in the NFL and happens. The the Super Bowl champion Eagles are 2-3 and three right now. The Falcons, playoff team last year, 1-4. The Panthers, Carolina Panthers were 6-10 two seasons ago, made the playoffs at 11-5 last year, just had another big win for that team this year, looking like they're headed that way. Is Kentucky for real? Kentucky is for real. And and they shouldn't have lost to Texas A&M, but it, the coach, for some reason, decided not to give the ball to their best player, Benny Snell, which, which that kind of folds into our discussion last week in the playback, coaching decisions. Like coaching what, decisions? What goes through your mind <laughs> at that time? But anyway... Let me talk about the cookie-cutter systems in the NFL. There will be no room. In college, you see all kinds of stuff. There's no room for Paul Johnson in the NFL. There's no room for somebody running an offense (laughs) that you never see. And Georgia Tech has been, under Paul Johnson, has been a consistent winner. They're struggling this year. They're not as good. But, uh, you know, they just rolled up 66 points on (laughs) on Louisville last week. Yeah. uh, Over 500 yards uh, rushing. But... And I'd like to see the different styles, the different, you know, the antiquated even is what Paul Johnson is running at, at Georgia Tech. But it's something different. It's not just the same old, you see the same old play action, the same old style. I'm, well, about, I'm about to... That. <laughs> The NFL is yeah. The NFL is a copycat league, yes, but you cannot run the the veer in the in the NFL because of the caliber of offense. I mean, I'm defenses and athletes that they have. You cannot run it to to much success. Again, but that I got another point included in that. The David versus Goliath in talent in the, in college, you see that a lot more. Where you got a guy, you can have. There is such a thing as a great college player that doesn't translate to the NFL. I mean. Tim Tebow being a prime example, uh, Doug Flutie, somebody being a prime example. Got guys that that could what about tear Flutie? up. <laughs> what about? He, wasn't a, he was a great college player that just you know he was he was an average NFL guy. He didn't do anything special in the league. Took, took nothing special in the league. Well, he took a team to the playoffs and he also nothing won a couple of great cups. Tim Does Tebow that not count? One. Great no, cups it doesn't count. <laughs> We're talking about college versus the NFL. Okay. All right. And David versus Goliath upsets. We've seen Old Dominion, uh, FCS school, knock off Virginia Tech this year. We've seen North Carolina A&T right here in our backyard go to Greenville and beat East Carolina this year. There's there's nothing that's the equivalent of that in the NFL. Not to mention years ago when Appalachian State pulled off the shocker of all shockers and went in the big house in top Michigan. That is true. There are a few true upsets like that. 
But for every one of those, there are 10 of the uber-predictable big Goliaths destroying the little school. So the little school gets some cash. So that's awesome. But they get destroyed. It is so predictable. They might score early and get people excited. And I sit there and say, we all know how this is going to go. It happens over and over and over again. Just and the like only the reason Patriots it happens, in the, NF, uh, the AFC East. What that's about the Patriots? The, they win the AFC every year. They win the AFC well, East. That's predictable. Yeah, that's been a season of time. That wasn't like that back, you know, the, it, it, not too long ago when we were, you know, just coming out of Chapel Hill, coming out of the Patriots were the worst team in the NFL. They've changed their fortunes. They've changed Around their Around then, Alabama wasn't that good either. Alabama has always been good, but but they weren't no, like they're, this. There are peaks and valleys. They, yes, there are peaks but the and Patriots didn't everybody. have any peaks There's before peaks that. And <laughs> they were in the '86 Super Bowl. That was nothing. Or '85 Super Bowl. They got beat 46 to 10. It doesn't matter. They were they in got the Super destroyed. Bowl. So so <laughs> that was a high. They reached the Super Bowl. That's a high, regardless of the outcome that game of the game. Wasn't a high. <laughs> you get to the bowl. That's a high. All right. Well, look. Let's just let the people decide. Then CL. Let's go to ratings. Ratings, pro destroys. Say, Let's put a poll. <laughs> Let, we could do that too. But pro pro football destroys everything in its path. Let, but you know, I, what I try to do is compare a little bit. Um, last year there was a Monday Night Football game, Raiders Eagles. That's a big whoop for anybody outside those municipalities. Basically, that game beat the Wisconsin Miami Orange Bowl by half a million viewers. That is the type of thing I'm talking about. The number one Wisconsin network. Wisconsin supposed to get a whole bunch of eyeballs? Number, it's a bowl game. It's an orange bowl. Number one, Wisconsin. Number Wisconsin one network <laughs> show on television, Sunday Night Football. It has been for four out of the last ten years. So I just say the ratings tell the tale that the NFL is king. Well, we'll we'll continue this at a later time debating that cuz I didn't even get to bring up bands. Bands will make you dance. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wouldn't have been able to come back with that. You should have brought that up. All right, well, look. Let's uh let's band together actually for a great guest here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. ESPN's Jay Billis is in the house. Please listen to these great offers that we're about to give you and then come on back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill! And welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. We have a very special guest with us tonight. You know him. Actually, you may know him from his playing days at Duke. That's right. Uh, but You'd be right. really old if you knew that. But we all enjoy his work on ESPN as a college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. Jay, thank you for joining us tonight. CL, Chris, great to be with you guys. Thank you. I wanted to, I, I kind of am tired of talking about the FBI trial, even though, you know, it's it's obviously ongoing right now. But the past year when they first came out with their, their indictments and everything, I, I wanted to get your take, though, on what what, if anything, has surprised you in the testimony that has gone on so far? Nothing surprised me. What has surprised me is the response to it, CL, that, uh, that we have had sort of, a, it seems like everybody was involved in NCAA administration, whether it's an AD or a president 
or our people in Indianapolis are like Kevin Bacon in Animal House saying, all is well, <laughs> uh, you know, no need to panic. And, uh, you know, every time something comes out, you hear somebody say, well, we have no corroborating evidence. And you're like, wait a minute, this is testimony under oath in a, in a federal trial uh, in, in federal court. And do you think the prosecution is just making this stuff up? And, and now, look, I'm sure this will be backed up on wiretaps, uh, and we'll have that evidence going forward. The, the trial's only been going on for a few days. But, uh, but you know, I don't think that the response from, uh, from administrators and from the different schools has matched their high-minded rhetoric throughout the years. And, and look, I don't think these are crimes. Yeah. Uh, I think these are violations of NCAA rules. I know this has been going on for 50-plus years in basketball and football. I know it. Uh, and, and all guys my age that say that, uh, you know, in the good old days this didn't happen, it happened back then, too. And, uh, but, you know, I don't condone kind of the breaking of NCAA rules, and I certainly don't condone uh, people who are, uh, you know, running out there screaming integrity every time, you know, bloviating about integrity all the time. <laughs> and then when it comes time to show some, they don't show it. Uh, that really, that kind of irks me. Yeah, yeah. How, how much of an impact do you think realistically that it will, will have on this season? The just, you none. know, kind of the ripple yeah, effects? None. None? None. It, it'll be just like last year. The, the only ripple effect will be if, if, there are, if there is a coach or coaches that are caught on wiretap Oh, yeah. uh, discussing payments, their 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 schools will fire them. That'll be it. Um, and I, I I hate to repeat what I said last year, but not one game will be canceled. Every every check will clear on time, and nobody's going to mess with uh, with the money train. Yes. So you know people people will will have there'll be more high minded rhetoric coming out of Indianapolis from the NCAA office, and that'll be about it. And, uh, you know, because we've seen so far, I mean, only really only one person of, of any consequence has been fired, and that's Rick Pitino. Mm-hmm. And even even one of his staff that was was supposedly neck deep in this and has been named again in, in trial testimony, Kenny Johnson, was hired at LaSalle. Yeah. So the idea that uh, that this could taint, touch or otherwise ruin a career uh, I mean, it, it's almost like it's almost like you have to have have to have video of it. Uh, otherwise, people are saying, "Yeah, well, everybody's lying." You know, everybody's lying. They they're, they're, they were lying on wiretaps when they didn't know they were being wiretapped. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't make, none of this makes any sense from the standpoint of of just pretending it didn't happen. And that's pretty much what most most schools are doing right now, and hoping this will go away. And I don't blame any coaches that may be implicated in this. What else are they going to do? Yeah. They're not just going to stand up and say, "I did it, I did it" in a Perry Mason moment. They're going to they're going to ride this out uh, uh, and and see what happens. That's the that's sort of the, the the smart thing to do from being if you're sort of a, def, a quote unquote defendant in this, even though that's a, they're not they may not have been charged yet. But uh, it's a it's a crazy situation, and I don't think the FBI and the Southern District of New York should be involved, but they are, and since they are. Uh, I think the NCAA response from this has been woefully inadequate, given all the rhetoric they pumped. You know, CL and Chris, if this were a kid that had been rumored to have taken money, they'd declare him ineligible in two seconds and, mm-hmm. and, and make that kid jump through hoops for months to try to get eligible again. Yeah, but since this is, these are salaried coaches and games are on the line, they, they, they're not delaying anything, and they're not firing anybody. They, they're going to have to have conclusive proof 
and why the players aren't treated in the same fashion as the coaches is really hard to fathom. Well, I have one one thing I want to ask you, just because with the early testimony we hear on one day, Oregon has offered an astronomical, they have an astronomical offer, and then when uh, Brian Bowen Sr. takes the stand, he says that I, I don't recall hearing any offer from Oregon. I, I feel like those are the kind of, I don't I don't necessarily think everybody is lying, but I also kind of wonder how much how much of this is is, you know, these individuals, Christian Dawkins and the likes, uh, just kind of a lot of hyperbole and a lot of posturing among themselves, uh, uh, talking about maybe maybe coaches that they're trying to act like they have influence over or, or programs and, and that kind of thing of that nature that's certainly possible and and what was said to this point about oregon has been primarily hearsay evidence so it's somebody talking about it and and so you know look i agree there's nothing conclusive there but you know all of us who have been around this game and certainly for those that have been around it as as, much, as long as i have are not surprised by the idea that there's cheating and there's money being exchanged so now, while there may be one school here or one program here that this was overblown or maybe not true or maybe somebody was puffing or, or, or lying, whatever you want to call it, the idea that none of this happened is, is I think, a, a, a tremendous stretch. And, and I think if you lined up all these coaches and put a little truth serum in them, you know, when they lose a recruit, everybody's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> but now with the FBI involved, well, wait a minute, this is overblown and nobody's doing anything. Yeah. So I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think everybody's doing this. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any recruit out there that's a good player that is not ineligible. And I don't mean they've taken $100,000, but I mean they've, they've taken something. Uh, they they have, have had an extra benefit at some point. You know, you're going to have somewhere where, where that's happened. Uh, but but this is a, this carries a little more weight to it, and it's going to be there's going to there are going to be substantial issues coming out of this in the next two three weeks, and I don't believe somehow that the government brought this entire case based upon hearsay evidence, and I, they, they've got wiretaps to back this stuff up. Yeah, and I certainly don't believe, given the defense's posture, that the defense is basically saying yes, we did all these things, but it's not a crime because everybody was doing it, and we were doing it to help the schools not hurt them, therefore there's no victim here. And that, that's what's required in, a, in a, you know sort of wire fraud and all these other bribery. There has to be a victim. And the government is claiming that the school is the victim. The school who benefited from the players being there is the victim. And, and that's, that's going to be a, 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 a little bit of a hurdle Although uh, I, I still think the government is going to get convictions here, and the best opportunity for the defense is going to be on appeal. Yeah, How, switching gears uh, to talk about actual the action that's going to take place on the court this year. What do you think in terms of the blue bloods all all kind of being heavyweights? It seems like this year, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, all all probably preseason top five ish teams. Um, it, I always get excited when, and maybe I'm just a front runner in that way, but I always get excited when the traditionally rich programs are going to field good teams because I feel like it makes the whole sport better. Me too. 
I, I think that's the way most people view it, and that's the way the ratings uh, indicate that, that people view it, is that when, when Kentucky and Carolina and Duke and UCLA and Indiana, they're all strong, uh, it makes for a better season and more interest. Uh, as you guys know, we've got a couple of, of non-traditional, uh, I, I should say non-Power 5 uh, teams that are going to be right up there with the big shots. Nevada has got everybody back, plus... Uh, an excellent freshman in Jordan Brown, and then and then Gonzaga is going to be really good again. So uh, Gonzaga is going to be top top ten, maybe even top five uh, this season with some of the the transfers they have eligible, the guys they've got coming back, and a great guard play and all that. So they'll be you now. Will we have another Loyola Chicago? Uh, even though Loyola Chicago will be good again, are they going to be as good as they were last year? Probably not. But they'll still be legit. Uh, will we have something like that? Who knows? I mean, it, you have to catch lightning in a bottle to get that. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think having the, the big shots really strong uh, always makes it better. Just like, you know, baseball is better when the Dodgers and the Yankees are strong. Um, you know, in the bigger markets are strong. That, that's the same in fo- college football, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, and, and it's certainly true of college basketball, I believe. Yeah, you actually segued, and my next question was going to be about Nevada and and how risk, how realistic do you think their chances are going to be to kind of fulfill that those those expectations, given that they've never been in this situation before. They've never been that preseason target on your back kind of school that everybody's expecting to have the the big year. Yeah, I think it'll be that'll be the biggest issue is how do they do week to week when they're they have that kind of target on their backs, and that that's tough to adjust to. Where you know maybe last year, the year before, they 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 never they weren't sneaking up on anybody, but they they might not necessarily have been getting everybody you know high energy best shot, and this year they will. They'll be like a, like Gonzaga or a, you know Indiana or Duke, whatever, where people get fired up to play yet. And the hardest thing I remember as a player was wrapping your head around, you know, when you got really good, was that the team that you watched on film was not the team you were going to get when you suited up against them. That that somehow, you know, how a, how a team, in the when I played in the ACC years ago, how a team played against Clemson or something was not indicative of how they were going to play against North Carolina or Duke. And uh, they always played at a higher level. And so Nevada's going to have to deal with that. And that's something that Gonzaga's been used to over the years. Uh, but, you know, Eric Musselman's been through it on, on a number of different levels. I don't think that'll be a problem because they're older and they've got guys that have played major conference basketball. Uh, so it's not, a, it's not that big of a deal, but it'll be a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, one one kind of uh, off-court issue I've seen you uh, bring up is the the – uh, the NCAA needing NCAA basketball needing full time officials instead of contracting to guys and and women and having them come in to do games. Uh, I'm curious what what do you feel like would be the tangible difference in the quality of officiating if if we did have full time officials as opposed to the current system? I think they'd be better trained. They're they're well trained now, but I think they'd be better trained. Uh, they would be better rested. And you would have um, a lot more consistency as far as assignments are concerned. And you know, just like in the NBA, uh, they have they have a number of officials they can assign. The officials aren't overworked. Our, our guys are overworked, and they're independent contractors. We don't have any real control over them. Uh, they can jump from conference to conference and work whenever they feel like it. We do have a little bit more 
uh, consolidation among conferences uh, where you've got a supervisor of officials that's overseeing a number of conferences so they can they can dole out assignments a little bit better and they have a little bit more leverage saying hey look if you if you work for another league and you're you're uh, putting yourself in situations where you may be tired for our games we're not gonna, we're not going to keep you long term you know you might be able to do that but the truth is you guys know that the, the the top programs want the older more experienced officials and one of the things we have to do a better job of is bringing younger officials up to the pipeline and identify the younger talent because we have to the, the player or the, the officials have to be able to keep up with the game and and this is not an ageism thing but but being 54 years old i, I i'm acutely aware of the older you get the slower you get <laughs> and and so having having guys that are coming up that are younger uh, men and women uh, would be really helpful and these, these these officials do a great job um but i'm one of those that people are going to say oh here you go the power five elitist the, the money's being driven by the power five schools they need to band together and hire these officials and then if if the if you know there are 30 what 31 conferences or whatever it is if the bottom 10 conferences aren't getting the best officials or the bottom half of division one aren't getting the best officials all the time that's not the top half's problem and and you know they can get they they get the best you can get but they don't get you could argue they don't get the best coaches and the best players either so what yeah but, but we've got we've got to put our best officials where the money is and where the eyeballs are first and hey, if we can get enough officials to go around, great. But we, but but you know, sort of, there aren't there, there aren't enough great players to to, to staff three hundred fifty one Division one teams equally. There certainly aren't enough officials, and uh, so we have to put our money where our mouth is and put our best officials where they deserve to be. Jay Billis here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Jay, uh, first of all, congratulations because you are the first Duke graduate that we've had on the show. Just we're gonna just give you a hand clap for that. We we appreciate you being with us. Now now that we're going down the home stretch here, Jay, we want to honor something that you do with such excellence. And as the the ninety four foot conversation that you have uh, with these athletes, everybody loves that. And so what I wanted to try to do here, Jay, is honor you by doing maybe the radio equivalent, if you will, of that. I'm going to go 94 seconds with it, and I'm just going to fire out questions and uh, hit, hit us back with whatever comes to mind. Does that sound okay? Awesome. That sounds great. Okay. All right. Starting the clock, and here we... Let's get some music going. Okay, thanks. And here we go. Favorite ice cream? Mint uh, chocolate chip, Ryder. Favorite sports moment pre-college? Uh, probably in high school where uh, uh, I scored like 30 points, 22 rebounds against our crosstown rival, uh, Palos Verdes, and we won, we won the game. Favorite sport to play outside of basketball? Right now it's golf. When I was uh, younger, I, I, I played baseball. Favorite action movie? Uh, that's a good question. Um, probably Die Hard, as, as long ago as that was. I love Die Hard. Second favorite rapper behind Young Jeezy? Uh, Jay-Z. Favorite Kevin Bacon song? Um, I, a movie, yeah. Uh, Animal House would be my favorite, and next would be uh, Apollo 13. Secret alternate career of yours that you'd like? Secret alternate career. Um, I would really like, I would, I would have loved to have been 
uh, commissioner of a league, like a, a base, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL, WNBA, whatever it was. I'd love to be a commissioner. Favorite city in the world? Los Angeles. Not close. Worst city in the world? <laughs> Worst city in the world. That's a tough one. Um, I've been to a lot of bad cities. I don't even know if I could come up with that one. It, it would probably be somewhere that I played in Europe uh, when I was playing pro ball overseas. I, I would say like some of the podunk towns that I played in, like in southern Italy, even though the food was great, the towns weren't so hot. Gotcha. That was excellent. That was excellent. Hey, I, I'd like to go on record to be your campaign manager uh, to, for NCAA basketball commissioner. Since yes. If you want to be a commissioner, I, I'm all for that. <laughs> Nice. Dang, the pay is good. I would love to have that kind of coin. <laughs> Real nice. Well, Jay, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time out to join us today. Um, and uh, I, I hope to see you along the way sometime at, out of the game and, and uh, be able to say hello in person. Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure. Chris and CL, thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you, you, Jay. Jay. Come on back, come on back to the Backyard Brawl, Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. And we're going to chill talking about, actually we're going to unthaw some basketball, college basketball. It is about that time, because you know, Tuesday of this week was the Carolina Media Day. So you know, Carolina interacted with media on a big scale to kick off the season. And now tomorrow, Friday night, is late night with Roy. So a chance for the fans to interact and that type of thing. So we're getting it started, CL. Yeah, I, I can't wait, man. November 6th is going to be here faster than you know it. Um, one, of, one of the things I brought up at Media Day, I, I tried to ask and see how the players felt about it, was what, what will their best lineup be? What's Carolina's best lineup going to be this year? Will it be a small ball lineup where Luke May is playing at the five? Will, will Sterling Manley or Garrison Brooks kind of step forward and, and assert themselves into the starting lineup? But then, who are you going to bump? You're going to bump Kenny Williams? You're going to bump Cameron Johnson? Uh, you're going to bump Nasir Little? I, I mean, technically, I don't know if he's in a lineup. I would say for sure Williams, Johnson, and May are the only locks for starters because of their their senior uh, their their leadership positions on his team but um, and I wouldn't even say point guard is a lot between seventh woods and Kobe white um, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that yet uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out I think seventh woods will probably will be the starter because of his experience mm -hmm. at least to start the season maybe not in the season that way but um, uh, we'll see what, what what do you think about this lineup okay so you said, at least to start the season. Now, I, what I did is I, I've come up with, I brewed up a little bit of a, uh, what it's going to wind up, what I believe it could wind up. Okay. So here we go. I'm not the senior basketball writer for TheAthletic.com. That is C.L. Brown, okay? So just disclaimer here. Okay, so Sterling Manley at five, Luke May, four, Nasir Little, three, Cameron Johnson, two, you know what I'm going to say. I don't know what you're going to say. K.J. Smith won, baby. Yeah. I believe. I thought you were going to say Kenny Williams somehow playing the point guard. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, that that's an interesting lineup. I mean, I'm sure at some point during the season, during the course of a game, during the course of rotation, we could see something like that on the floor. But in terms of starting lineup, I mm-hmm. think for sure Kenny Williams, Cameron Johnson, and Luke May are the three locks to be in the starting lineup. The question to me is who who those other two people are going to be, and and um, what were you? Gonna L- say? Well, let me ask let me ask you a question about Kenny Williams. It seems that different circumstances motivate him. I, I don't know. That That's my impression of him. I, I just wonder if coming off the bench would be that spring, that little extra thing that he needs. That's that's what nah, I wonder. Not for Kenny. Not this year. Not not. He's a vet. He's got to be in the lineup. He's got to set the tone early. I think for me, the big game, the big breakout moment, for me personally with Kenny Williams was when he hit the three late in the game against Tennessee. Kind of that dagger three that won that road game. That was tough environment. Beautiful shot. I wasn't I told him after the game, I was like, I didn't expect you to take that shot. What you know, basically what made you have the gumption <laughs> in that situation to take the shot. And I, I I think he is ready, he's more than ready to step forward on this team. But we will see how all of this plays out when they uh open on the road November sixth. All right. At Walford, right? Yes. Okay, so let's go well then let's move on. Then we got we gotta get a little bit in here about the NFL, what is happening in the league, what what's the big thing. I mean, right now, a big thing are all of these young quarterbacks that are getting major time, major, you know, play time and what have you. What do you think? Well, um, <laughs> I think it's it's going to be a huge learning curve for a lot of them. I think with the NFL specifically, when you can have early success when they don't have that tape on you. <laughs> Once defensive <laughs> coordinators get that tape on you from a number of that's games, very true. that's when the, the hammer comes down, that vice grip tightens up, mm-hmm. and, and your numbers start to shrink up. A prime example of that, Sam Darnold with the Jets. His yeah. first two games, Overhyped, he though. was lights out. 76% in that first game they win uh, against the Lions, put up 48 points. Where they had their calls. <laughs> in the last three games, he hasn't completed more than 50% of his passes in each game. He's right. been 50% or below in terms of their completions in the Jets are 2 and 3. So, it's it's definitely a learning process for all of these guys. Out of the lot though, I think uh, I would take Baker Mayfield as as my favorite out of those five guys. Really? Yeah, what? he just he has that it factor to me. He's 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 kind of like Drew Brees in the sense that he's probably not the biggest, you know, he's not a uh, uh, Prototypical size yeah, for he's a only quarterback. Six feet, I think. Yeah, and and he just he just has that it factor to me, man. Really, you know. Okay, so what I think about Baker Mayfield is that he is uh, he's got a great arm for downfield passing. He is supremely confident in that arm too. So those things, and he's he's more mobile than you think. He's he's a gutsy guy. He's more mobile than you think. But gosh, I, I I don't know if I would take it. I think a guy that's really kind of blossomed here is Rosen uh, from from the Cardinals. He's uh, he's come along, and I was just re- re- recalling what I was thinking about these guys before they entered the league. And I think Rosen at UCLA was the one that I said, you know that that might be 
the guy. So, I, you know, and Lamar Jackson, is he even getting a fair look? Because, you know, he's just coming in and running specialty plays. But, hey, he's learning behind the scenes, and I think there's value there. Well, there's a lot of value. I think, I think ultimately he may be better off than these guys playing right now by being able to kind of be spoon-fed the offense and everything and, and later on inherit the reins. Yes. All right. Well, what we inherit now— but he still won't beat Pittsburgh. <laughs> He's already beat Pittsburgh. He has not. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. All right. See, now why start that when we have to go and hear from our friends? we got to take a break, and then we're going to come back with Brown Out. We're not done with great radio for you, folks. Stay tuned here at 97.9 The Hill. Thank you for coming back. Sibling Rivalry Sports, 97.9 The Hill. It's time for the Brownout. The Brownout. The Brownout, the segment where we quickly hit on different hot topics that are happening and give you our takes. What is the first one? New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees just set the NFL record for career passing yards. Who's the best quarterback who had that kind of record-setting potential to never make it? Best QB, CL, to never make it. I'm going to cheat on this one a little bit and say he didn't make it for seven years. Then he made it. (laughs) Warren Moon, he graduated. He played at University of Washington, came out in 77. He didn't make it to the NFL until 1984. That was back in the Neanderthal period, Neanderthal thinking period of the NFL where they thought black quarterbacks couldn't cut it. So he did eventually make the Hall of Fame yes. based on his playing career. And he played till the age of 44. But think about those seven years. He may be the guy who's standing where Drew Brees is standing if he had those seven years. Oh, that's a good point. But So you don't call CFL champion. I mean, he won five in Edmonton. You don't NFL call that. The national it's just the best QB to never make it. You said, okay, so you're thinking it's the national football league. All right, you want to play in the best league. All right, Sable. Well, you yeah, you're right. Best you're right, but you can't take away five championships. All right, uh, so what, you know what? My guy does not compare to that cheat. But anyway, it, it's a cheat in that Warren Moon's awesome. And that's what I mean by that. But Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer, he graduated from Notre Dame, Lou Holtz's guy, and then he uh, was drafted by Seattle in 1993, the Seahawks, and he set rookie records, attempts, completions, yards, outdueled both head-to-head and statistically a guy named Drew Bledsoe, who later led New England to a couple of Super Bowls. But things went haywire for this young man because his coach was fired, the one who really believed in him. Three offensive coordinators in four years. It just went wild. Even though he did have a long career, it wasn't what it could have been had things been more consistent for him. That's my that's my guess. Next question. Oklahoma fired defensive coordinator Mike Stoops after its loss to Texas last week. Are in-season firings justified in college sports? What is going on, CL, with these these entities letting go, these schools firing coaches? If this were the NFL, if this was, was, you know, professional, I wouldn't think twice about it. But colleges, you're supposed to be setting examples. You're supposed to be in it for the kids, for the guys he recruited to Oklahoma. And I'm not for in-season firings. You do it before, you do it after, you don't do it in-season. But I understand why, because Lincoln Riley as a head coach, Ruffin McNeil, former East Carolina head coach, is his guy. And so this this was a move I could see him making. But I think you just reshuffle the staff. 
CL, CL Brown tweeted out, uh, can somebody please tell me again, remind me why East Carolina fired Ruffin McNeil. And uh, that was right when that happened. Very astute. I, I, you know what? I would actually be surprised with the NFL. I don't, I don't think the NFL doing it during the season is commonplace. So it is very shocking to see that happen on the college level. We got to stop that. But silver lining, Mike Stoops, come on. Come on over to Carolina. Just help out. You know, we got a spot for you. Next question. Golden State Warriors begin their quest for a fifth straight NBA Finals appearance and fourth title. Are they the best franchise in any sport right now? Golden State, Chris. Are they the best doing it right now in any sport? Nope. I'm sorry, they are not. And I point to the New England Patriots who have gotten, who've gone basically a half generation with their championship run. Or, or more, actually, it's more than that. When I think about it, their first one was in 2001. Same quarterback, same coach, still doing it over and over again. Had an undefeated season. They, they just, it doesn't compare because we're talking championships and also the caliber of opponent. That's that was my big thing. I think I would say yes. Golden State's the best doing it right now because I believe they've created a culture out there where guys want to come play. You have Kevin Durant, a superstar in his own right, playing with the superstar Russell Westbrook at Oklahoma City, giving all of that up to come join a team. Now, yes, people say they already won it. You know, that's the reason why he came and all that kind of stuff. But you have to join a team and then blend in with their culture, and that's what guys are wanting to do. That's the same reason why Boogie Cousins also signed with Golden State. So. I would say yes. And, and what they're doing on the court is unprecedented, too, in terms of NBA. They're, they're getting on this this role in modern-day NBA, I should say. But they can't do it like Michael did it. I'm just saying. You know, you're, I was just commenting on the last part of that. You know, let's, let's do it like Michael did it, winning those games and in a row. Okay, that's it. We're out of time. This is too much fun, CL. This is always fun. Loved having Jay Billis. Yes, sir. Great, great stuff. Well, let's keep it going. Let's just keep doing it and come on back next week, folks. Uh, my name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling, Sibling Rivalry, Rivalry Sports. Sports on 97.9 WCHL. The Hill!